0: Turn in our Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. On Sunday morning, we're in a very near the end. There'll be two additional studies, I think, before we finish this series. But a series entitled um, Encouragements from Second uh, Corinthians. And the encouragement that we come to today is uh, specifically in the realm of spiritual warfare, and that's always uh, a needed encouragement. So we pick things up in verse 1. Paul writes by the Holy Spirit, Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful to be your children and to be um, the sheep of your pasture in this world. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your faithfulness to your truth. Thank you for these six verses that we have uh, the privilege of being able to study today. If these were the only six verses that made up the entire Bible, we would be thankful for them, Lord. We're thankful for all of Your revelation that You give to us. We pray for the work of Your Spirit that's required to take these truths off of the printed page and to give them a living and working and daily place in our lives and in our relationship with You. And we ask that You would accomplish it this morning by Your Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This morning we come to a passage of Scripture that provides us with uh, instruction regarding how to address spiritual warfare, and specifically spiritual warfare that uh, manifests itself in the form of slander and in the form of lies, and uh, the uh, the form of slander and lies that uh, are brought against biblical truth that are brought against uh, the Word of God. and As we've repeatedly seen here in the book of 2 Corinthians, that these uh, great encouragements that rise off of, off of the printed page, uh, that they rose to the surface at what was a very, very challenging and difficult time, heartbreaking time for the Apostle Paul. Uh, in his ministry to the church at Corinth. He had invested 18 months of his life, a very significant block of time for establishing a church in his ministry, in the establishment of the church at Corinth. And um, he was the one that God used to birth that church uh, into uh, existence, And so while the overwhelming majority of Christians there in the church at Corinth still recognize Paul's uh, spiritual authority and uh, pastoral and apostolic authority within the church, there had arisen a group of leaders within the church who were endeavoring to uh, undermine his authority and his voice within the church in order that they might advance themselves and in order that they might then take over the church and uh, be done with the Apostle Paul and make it into the new thing that uh, they had dreams of making it uh, into. And one of the things that they had to do with the Apostle Paul in order to accomplish this was to undermine... Attempt to undermine his reputation or dispar- to disparage his uh, integrity. And so they brought slander upon slander and lie upon lie against the Apostle Paul to the congregation in the attempt to turn them away. Uh, from Paul, and they had accused him, as we've seen, of having a lack of integrity; that his yes wasn't yes, and his no wasn't no. They condemned him for his failure to provide letters of recommendation, uh, 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 reference letters for the church. Uh, they viewed the perishing of his body, the hardship, uh, and uh, and the. Uh, The uh, physical kind of scars and consequences that were on him for being faithful to what God had called him to. Uh, They viewed that as a weakness in the apostle Paul's life. They viewed it as a sign of God's rejection of Paul, of God's disfavor concerning Paul's uh, life. And then they went even as far as to uh, call the Apostle Paul mad. They accused him of being mad, of being mentally and emotionally uh, unstable. I mean, imagine being a person that that would level those kind of accusations falsely against anyone, and know they're false, and yet to do it uh, against the Apostle Paul—the arrogance and the pride uh, that that has to be present in in uh, that that kind of a life. And so as we come now to this last section of 2 Corinthians, which is chapter 10 all the way to the end, the Apostle Paul really in a sanctified way, he takes off the gloves now in the, this kind of discussion that is happening by way of this letter uh, with these false leaders. And from uh, chapter 10 on, he begins to give us a very clear picture of what these men were, what their character was. He gives us a, a description of them so that we can now begin to understand what he was up against, what their motives were for uh, uh, attacking him in in the way uh, that they were. And he described them in chapter 2, uh, Of 2 Corinthians, uh, verse 17, as being peddlers of God's word. They were in it for the money. In chapter 11, verse 22, uh, we find out that they were from a Jewish background, probably Judaizers from the city of Jerusalem, where they had come into the church and now were attempting to bring this Christian church uh, under the law of Moses, circumcision, the keeping of the law as a means of righteousness. and so forth. Paul uh, declared them in chapter 11 verse 4 to be uh, preachers of a different gospel. In that same verse, he declared them to be possessed of a different spirit. In chapter 11 verse 13, he uh, calls them false apostles. In the same verse, deceitful workers And then in chapter 11, verse 15, ministers of Satan, and in that same verse, as being destined for God's judgment. And so, on and on, his description actually goes, but we'll stop uh, there. But it gives us a sense of who they were, how dangerous they were to, to the church, and then very importantly for us this morning... The uh, source of the slander and the lies that they were meeting out against the Apostle Paul, and the source of that slander and those lies was Satan himself, as Paul calls them ministers of Satan in, in this attack that they were uh, bringing against him. Paul's immediate situation, he gives it to us here, and uh, in the latter part of verse 1, uh, Paul uh, is hit with an additional accusation that these men have made uh, against him, an additional slander and lie from them. And, uh, and when Paul describes himself there as, who in, the pre- in, who in presence am lowly toward you, but being absent and bold toward you, when Paul writes that, that's not a self-description that he's giving to us of himself. What he's doing actually here is he's merely repeating the slander and the lie that these false apostles were uh, leveling uh, against him. In other words, they were saying to the congregation in Corinth that, you know, this Paul, when he's here with us face to face, I mean, he's a pussycat, he's a wimp, but when he leaves and he gets a safe distance from us, you know, he fires off these bold letters that he doesn't even have the decency to deliver on his own, but you notice he sends them uh, with a messenger. And so they accuse him at once of being weak and cowardly on the one hand, and then they accuse him of being a bully on the other hand. And Paul's response in the beginning of verse 1, uh, as they viewed his meekness and his gentleness in dealing with what was a very delicate situation. Paul, there in the church at Corinth, Paul needs to get rid of these leaders, but, uh, but people are caught in the crossfire. And that's always the case in these kind of things. The people get caught in a crossfire, and it makes it hard for the leader who has integrity then to engage in winning this battle without sacrificing the congregation at the same time. So this is what he's trying to uh, navigate in, in all of this and, uh, a, a, and dealing with this situation going on uh, a, a, as, as they viewed his, his, his meekness and his gentleness as a sign of weakness on his part. And what Paul does is he simply uh, reminded them that in treating them in this way, in in his initial dealings with the situation, in treating them with gentleness and with meekness, he was after all uh, simply being like Jesus, who they claim to love and and to revere. So if you're going to condemn the, the characteristics of gentleness and meekness in the Apostle Paul, if you're going to be consistent, Paul is intimating, then you must condemn them, condemn them in Jesus uh, uh, himself in order to, to be consistent. Jesus, of course, had taught in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, he commends it, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus said later in his ministry, in Matthew chapter uh, 23, in terms of Meekness, He said, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He's commending uh, humility. Paul then went on to say that since these false teachers and apostles had been unwilling to uh, heed his rebuke of them in uh, gentleness and in meekness, that he had another gear with which he could operate here, that he would now, as he says in verse 2, come to them in boldness in dealing with them. And the fact that they would accuse the Apostle Paul of being a wimp or of of being a coward, of being one thing face-to-face with people and then another thing entirely... Uh, uh, different when he's separated by a great distance is an indication that they knew nothing of the Apostle Paul, that they had not done their homework <laughs> concerning the Apostle Paul uh, at, at at all. Uh, Paul could be uh, very much uh, strong and bold uh, in a person's face as well as in his letters from a distance. You might remember. As Paul himself spoke about his persecution of the early church before becoming a Christian, in Acts chapter 26, I'll read a portion of it for you. Paul said, Indeed, I myself thought that I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and this I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them and punished them often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. You might remember even Paul as an, when he became a Christian, and then as an apostle, that when he came to the city of Antioch, as it's recorded in Acts, and the apostle Paul visits the city, Uh, the Apostle Peter rather and he comes into the city and there are certain Jews from Jerusalem who are not mingling or eating with the Gentile believers there's a separation and a division and the Apostle Peter ate with the Gentile believers before these, uh, these uh, Jews came from Jerusalem. And then he separated himself from the Gentile believers, completely me- misrepresenting the new covenant and the heart of God in Christianity. And Paul said, I, I rebuke the Apostle Peter to his face over his hypocrisy on this issue. Paul could do it, and, and he did do it. I think about it, it, it with him as a, an apostle when he uh, came to the Ephesian elders, as it's there in Acts chapter 2, and he's saying goodbye to them. He's not, he, he feels he's not going to see them once again, and uh, as he says goodbye to them, he said, "'Therefore, take heed to yourself.' and to all of the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the flock of God which He purchased with His own blood. For I know this, He says to their faces, that after My departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples, after themselves and so he was paul had no hesitancy at all to say what it was that he felt needed to be said to a person's face uh, and and not merely with bold letters and in his promise to come to them and to deal with them in boldness uh, it it, it, it wasn't at all a, a mark of fleshly carnality But again, in this he was being exactly like Jesus himself. Because the same Jesus who described himself to be meek and lowly in heart could be very, very bold when people misunderstood that meekness to be weakness on his part. You might remember that twice, once at the beginning of his public ministry, and then at the end, near the end of his public ministry, that he cleansed the temple. And in the later cleansing of the temple, in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus went into the temple of God. He drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, "'It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves.'" And then you go into uh, uh, Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 23 where He addresses face to face the Jewish religious leaders of His day. And the entire chapter is a rebuke of those Jewish religious leaders. I'll give for your remembrance just a simple, uh, the opening words of it uh, to, to prime the pump of your remembrance when he declared, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. And it's important to understand that when both the Apostle Paul and Jesus make these kind of stands in their lives, and they do so as an example to us as Christians, that there's nothing of the flesh related to any of it. This is a righteous anger. An unrighteous anger is when I get angry because you do something to me. I mean, that steams me, and, and I get mad over that, and that's an unrighteous anger. That's not what's being talked about here. The anger that Paul is expressing toward the leaders in this church and that Jesus expressed to others is when they saw people who claim to represent God, misrepresent God, before other people, and then in misrepresenting God, stumbling other people, innocent Christians, in their desire to know God and to walk with God. And neither Jesus nor the Apostle Paul was afraid to step into those situations and to address them in that way. And of course, every leader, uh, <clears throat> every Christian leader, certainly needs that in, their, in our lives, but so do we do, so do each of us as Christians, because we're the head, we're not the tail. We're all to be leaders in this world as Christians. We certainly don't follow in this world, but, but as it relates to a Christian leader, uh, he, he must or she uh, deal with this, as a pastor, for instance, deal with an unending stream of issues and problems and, and things that need to be addressed in order to keep a church well focused and to keep it well uh, directed and some of those things will require correction and so the initial attempts uh, are always uh, you know hopefully as we would try uh, to be marked by humility and gentleness even to the point where people watching the situation would view our patience as being weakness or wimpiness in dealing with the situation uh, but then always behind it, there has to be this strong biblical backbone that once this situation reaches a certain point where now God's reputation is at stake, uh, God is being misrepresented here, people are being stumbled, then that person must step in as the Apostle Paul does here and to address it now uh, with with, uh, boldness. And uh, and so meekness is not weakness, but it's strength under control. And again, as I said, this is true of each of us uh, as Christians, as the culture pushes upon us to uh, endeavor, uh, to try and get us to en- endeavor in this unending uh, sequence of, of compromises. It's very important also to recognize the method of their attack on Paul, that it took the form of lies, and it took the form of slander. And what the Apostle Paul did in countering their lies and their slander uh, is that he countered it with truth. You notice in verse 3, he said, "...for though we walk according to the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh. And so Paul is saying, readily confle- confessing, you know, physically, I am like anybody else. I'm merely flesh and blood. Uh, but I, uh, he said, I do not oppose their lies. I do not oppose their slander. Uh, 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 the way I'm not going to oppose uh, them by responding with lies and slander on my own. I'm not going to respond the way that the world does. I'm not going to use their weapons but that he would address them uh, supernaturally God's way Uh, not not the way that they were doing with all of the deception, the manipulation, the abuse of power. And it isn't that the Apostle Paul couldn't do that And the Apostle Paul didn't stand uh, down here related to this. He says, we don't war according to the flesh. Paul knew how to war according to the flesh. I mean, when you see him in the book of Acts before he gets saved, and he's putting people in prison, and he's making them denounce uh, Christians, denounce their faith in Christ uh, to avoid prison, doing it to men, doing it to to women he knew weapons of the flesh he knew how to play that game but he said as a christian i am not going to deal with this kind of thing in the way that i might have dealt with it at another time in my life i am not going to war according uh, to the flesh and then in verse 4, he said, "...the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or of the flesh, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds." In other words, uh, he's saying that he won't fight them with the... He, he's going to fight them with the weapons that are mighty in God, weapons that God has provided us for, with for this kind uh, of a warfare, weapons that are supernaturally powerful against this kind of, uh, of of slander, this kind of lies, this kind of uh, of a demonic attack. And the weapons that specifically that he's talking about here in this kind of thing is to respond to these things with the Word of God, uh, sword of the Spirit, and also with prayer. These are things that God has provided to us in uh, in in this uh, warfare and they're powerful because they have their uh, origin in him and paul declares from great experience as an apostle and uh, he's looked at clouds from both sides now from win and lose i mean he's been a non-christian and now he's been a christian and he's been deep as a non-christian uh, as a pharisee and then deep as a christian and, and so he looks and says, these weapons uh, that God has provided to us, they will bring down strongholds. No matter how strong uh, those strongholds might be, no matter how strong these false apostles felt they had a hold on uh, that church in Corinth. And then in verse five, he said, For casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In other words, all of the arguments that they had made to Uh, support their false teaching, all of the false teaching itself, uh, all of it is going to be cast down because it exalted itself against the knowledge of God. It exalted itself against the Word of God, against God's revelation of His truth, and he said it will end up being cast down. In the end of verse 5, he declares... uh, and uh, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, he wouldn't give their lies or their slander any kind of a lasting place in his heart or in his mind. But he would recognize them to be inconsistent with the truth of God's Word and take them captive and cast them out of his mind. And then he closes there with verse 6, and being ready... To punish all disobedience when your obedience is punished. And this, in this he is declaring that he is ready to come back to Corinth. He is ready to address these false apostles uh, within the church. These that he calls ministers of Satan. And uh, But he was willing to do so if the church was willing to allow him to do so. What good would it do him... If he came and he uh, rid the church of these leaders, if uh, the church by and large agreed with the leaders and weren't willing to make a stand themselves against the leaders. And so Paul said, I'm willing to do this, but you have to be willing to make a stand against them uh, 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 yourselves. Now, this was kind of the specific warfare that the Apostle Paul found himself in, in, in terms of of uh, uh, spiritual warfare. And this is how Satan was uh, attacking Paul and his his uh, ministry uh, 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 by these false leaders. And, th- and that may not be the exact way you and I face uh, spiritual warfare that is is verbal in, in its form. And uh, 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 all of that depends upon god's call upon our lives but each and every one of us as christians certainly in where western culture is now and where uh, our american culture is now every one of us as christians are uh, need to to know how to deal with spiritual warfare that takes the form of slander and lies against our god against the word of god and then are leveled against us personally for following the God that we follow and obeying the book that, that we o- obey. And as, as the devil attacks us and attempts to do so, and our relationship with God, our faith, our service, Christian service, uh, whether it's in the form of a, a fiery dart, as, as Paul speaks in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, that is, is launched... Uh, in, in the form of doubt, or in the form of lies, or in the form of slander related to Christianity, and whether that comes to us by way of a podcast or a youtube video or a high school or a college classroom or professor uh, or our peers or other authority figures within our life or whatever the source that they might be and paul shows us here how to stand in the midst of this kind of a specific warfare against our faith slander and lies targeting both god and each of us as Christians. And of course, uh, slander and lies, these are chief characteristics of the devil. They're certainly not characteristics of the Holy Spirit or of God, so anytime you're dealing with this kind of thing, there needs to be the recognition within us that I'm not just dealing with someone who's spouting off some things against god but that there's a demonic element related to it why would somebody even bother attacking these things if they want nothing to do with them except that uh they're being used as a part of uh, of uh, of bringing that attack forth and and the devil himself being a slander and a liar jesus spoke uh, you know most authoritatively on the issue When he spoke to the Jewish religious leaders in John chapter 8, verse 44, uh, he said, You are of your father the devil. And the word there is diablos; It means an accuser, a, a slanderer. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. It is also very important related to this passage to notice that what Paul is addressing specifically is spiritual warfare that is uh, focused against uh, the mind. Spiritual warfare that involves an attack upon truth, an attack specifically upon God's truth in our lives as as Christians. In verse 5 there, he talks about arguments. In verse 5 further, he talks about the knowledge of God, and there he's talking about our knowledge of God. He's talking about the mind. Uh, Further in verse 5, the importance of bringing every thought into uh, captivity. And of course, all of this is immensely valuable to us because no Christian is immune to Satan's attack upon the truthfulness of God's Word uh, in our lives. But if we handle the slander, we handle the lies uh, properly, as Paul does here, uh, not only will it not be successful in undermining our faith or stumbling us, but it will take us into a deeper understanding. Sometimes it will force us into a deeper understanding of the Word of God, and then as a result, a a deeper relationship with God Himself. And so the basic principles that Paul supplies to us as Christians, in which our faith is attacked by way of slander and by way of of lies, the Word of God is, is attacked, are as follows, once again, in verse 3, we are, Paul Paul declares, we're not to wage this war according to the flesh. Now, uh, uh, hopefully, you became a Christian uh, right from the womb. Well, you can't be a Christian right from the womb, but you became a Christian very, very early in your life, and you've walked with the Lord all of your life and uh, walk close with Him. But there's a lot of other people where we come to know the Lord a little bit later in life. And, uh, and so the temptation can be, if you're going to slander my God, you're going to slander me. You're going to lie about uh, the Word of God. Uh, I know how to handle this. And the first kind of flush of a way to handle it is to handle it in, uh, in the flesh. But Paul says we're not to uh, wage this war according uh, to the flesh and and, uh, uh, and engage in that battle in that way. We'll come to the weapons in in just a moment, but here we want to be reminded that we are of no help to the person who is slandering or uh, is lying about Christianity, and we want to use that as an opportunity to correct what it is that they're saying and, and what it is that they're doing. But we're of no help to them. We're of no help really to ourselves uh, in making a stand against uh, those kind of lies and, and, and those, uh, uh, that kind of, of slander and error. Uh, if we resort to it by merely human means. We just get carnal, we get angry, and, and we start shouting and, 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 and threatening the other person because the fleshly weapons will never change another person's life. You'll never change another person's mind that way. All it will ever do is drive people uh, deeper into their air. The only way that you can undo a lie in a person's life is to lovingly, under the control of the Holy Spirit, bring a obviously superior truth alongside the lie that they believe, so they can see it then for themselves, the superiority of Christianity to what it is they believe it to be or what is the master passion of their life. And that's how someone is, is one uh, in that way. That's the only way to reach a person's uh, will. And then to, after having taken the truth of God and put it forward to them, to then once, when we are once again out of their presence, to then pray for them. I never have uh, Mormon missionaries on my doorstep or Jehovah Witness missionaries on my doorstep in which um, I w- will uh, gladly discuss the Word of God with them and tell them why I believe what I believe from the Scripture and show them that why I can't understand why they would believe what they believe in the light of the Scripture. But I never get done with one of those discussions except I close the door and I sit down and I then pray for them. Uh, related to the fact that this light has to go on between them and God, and and so delivering the Word of God, but then following it uh, with with prayer, and of course, all of this assumes an honest seeker after. Uh, truth. And here Paul's talking about on an individual level, if you have somebody in the church that it's a different kind of situation where they're slandering or they're uh, lying or they're uh, teaching false doctrine, then you nip that at the bud uh, um, uh, immediately. You don't give that any kind of, uh, of, of room uh, at, at all. But not only is it destructive or of no use in trying to uh, reach people by a carnal means or anger or whatever, but it, all it will ever do is just uh, if we do that is we 'll diminish our own Christian witness in in front uh, of of those people by responding to the flesh rather than according to the Spirit. He tells us there in verse 4 that we're to recognize that our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty in uh, God. Of course, the Apostle Paul would give us uh, later, when he wrote a a subsequent letter, his letter to the church at uh, Ephesus, a description of the weapons that are are ours and are mighty in God. In Ephesians chapter 6, Verse 10, allow me to read a portion of it uh, to you. He said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, And therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And because this spiritual warfare this form of it is an attack upon the mind it's a war regarding whether truth or lies are going to prevail within our thinking Of course, what we think and allow in our minds is going to affect the quality of our life. It's going to affect the destiny of of our life. There's hardly anything that we can do that is more important than be careful about what it is that we allow uh, into our minds. Uh, Emerson uh, put it uh, famously when he wrote, So a Thought… And you reap an action, sow an act, and you reap a habit, sow a habit, and you reap a character, sow a character, and you reap a destiny. so the stakes are enormously high, and uh, this kind of error, Paul says, has to be fought with truth in the form of the shield of faith that is put up when these darts come, the lies come, the slander come, and the shield of faith is put up and and uh, and it is kept from uh, doing damage in our lives, and then in the form of the sword of the Spirit, which is uh, the Word of God. And the Word of God is an offensive weapon and a defensive weapon in the spiritual warfare that that we are engaged in. And again, I would be negligent here if I didn't also mention prayer once again uh, in this context, the importance of open communication with God in all of this. So here you are, you're a Christian, you've been raised as a Christian or a Christian for a long time, and somebody raises a doubt about the Word of God. There's a particular atheist that has now uh, left this world, and uh, and I remember I've seen many, many of his videos, very, very clever, very, he, he knew better. He knew so much, you watch and you go, you know what you're doing here. But his misrepresentation of Christianity is awful, absolutely appalling. There's a biblical answer for every single thing that he said. But if I don't know that there's a biblical answer for those things, it can be compelling and so then we can be stumbled related to something uh, that's been brought up or even a verse out of context that he might quote that is uh, is is brought up and what is so important to do is when we run into those kind of things and we will always run into those kind of things there's an attack upon uh, the Christian faith there always will be in the world is to make sure that we turn to the Word of God and find out what does the Bible say about this, but make sure that while we're doing that, we're engaging uh, God in conversation with it. One of the biggest mistakes that a person can make is this kind of attack is made in terms of slander and a lie against Christianity, and then a person feels like, uh, a Christian feels like, I'm going to navigate this on my own. And I keep God out of it, uh, but that 's a time in which to to engage in prayer and to say, God, I don't understand. Uh, here is this argument that's been brought forth. Here is this thing that has been said. I don't know if it's true. I don't know my Bible well enough to know whether uh, it's true. And so I'm going to delve into that truth. How do you see this? How do you see this attack upon your word and upon yourself? And, and then uh, what, what do you want to speak to me in terms of perspective and in all of this and then uh, m- uh, navigate all of it in an ongoing conversation with God, and the and the importance, uh, vital importance of uh, of doing that. And again, these weapons are mighty in God because they've been provided uh, f- uh, to us by God for just uh, such a battle. And. Uh, God can provide the weapons to us, but only we can choose whether we're going to use uh, those weapons. You notice in verse 4, he says our spiritual weapons, and here we're talking about prayer and and God's truth specifically, uh, uh, they will pull down any stronghold, whether it's a stronghold that's in the world, or whether it's a stronghold in our personal lives. And here, a stronghold speaks of anything any belief, any practice, any excuses or rationalization for sin that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It exalts itself against what we know God to be like. It exalts itself against what we know to be true about God and true um, in His His Word, uh, against His nature and against the Gospel and against His Word. And you know, you look at this list of strongholds of sin that had been pulled down within that members of the congregation there in Corinth. Their whole lives had been changed by the gospel. It hadn't been changed by Greek philosophy or Roman philosophy. The miracle that had happened in their life by being born again. The miracle of their life after they had been born again. It was All of it was produced by the gospel. God's message of salvation. And then uh, the, the word of God, a, alive and powerful, working in their lives. Bringing down strongholds, great strongholds within their lives. And he speaks about it in his first letter to them. He said in 1 Corinthians Uh, chapter 6, verse 9. He said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor uh, drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Our lives as Christians, the change that has occurred in our lives as Christians is a witness to the truthfulness of God's Word, the strongholds that have come down. And maybe not everyone has come down in your life just yet, but some have come down, and the others will come down uh, as well. And in any attack upon God's Word that we encounter in life, it's very, very important that we carefully examine the quality of life that we witness in the person that is advancing the lie, or the slander, or the so-called new new truth, or uh, to uh, look at the quality of human being that we can see is now produced by uh, this so-called new truth, or is being pitched to us uh, 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 for uh, uh, us to then follow. And you look everywhere in the culture, that, that you want to look in the culture and everywhere in the culture that our culture exalts itself against the knowledge of God uh, in in terms of the legalization of mind altering drugs the recreational uh, use of, of of drugs and and the the uh, the advocating for it in Oregon now uh, every drug in, in, in some uh, uh, small amount but there are no illegal drugs you can legally possess all of it well if you think you've seen people live under uh, under overpasses right now you haven't seen anything yet uh, wait a year wait five years wait ten years wait twenty years until these things become literal cities they become as big as the slums in Bombay as people fry their brains and can no longer function, and the rest of of the culture and you look and you see in a culture that is advocating this it's attacking christianity for being too narrow on these issues but look at the look what happens to a person six months down this road one year down this road uh, ten years down the road that's being advocated uh, to us but requires an attack on christianity to do that because it's one of the lone places that will resist this this kind of thing just talk with With a friend this week and his son is hooked on fentanyl and somewhere in Florida and he hasn't seen him for a year and a half and doesn't know whether he'll see him alive. And then a friend of his and uh, uh, her uh, son dead of a fentanyl overdose and heading off to a funeral for her son uh, with this. You simply look at the path and say, what happens on this path? What kind of person is produced on this path? And then the same thing with all of the various kinds of sexual immorality, the legalization of abortion, the casting down of God's definitions of, of marriage, God's creation of, of two sexes, indeed the, the attack upon God's uh, very existence. But what are you left with without a God in this world? What are you left with without the God of the Bible in this world? And that's the thing that we have to look at because it's always an attack upon our faith in order to keep fingers being pointed so we will never examine in any kind of close degree what it is that they are advocating uh, for. And so, uh, what is uh, uh, what is the, uh, the, the is the ultimate definition of freedom for a human being? That I have the freedom to choose what sin or sins I'm going to addict myself to in life, and will never be able to get myself free from. Is that the highest view of freedom? That, that people can have and yet this is the freedom that's being uh, clamored uh, for and then worse than that is you remove the God of the Bible and now you have no uh, meaning in in life there is no purpose to life and if there's no meaning to life and no purpose to life and eternity hasn't been placed in our heart like Pastor Tom shared about last Sunday night then break out the bottle Break out the medicine bottle. Break out the alcohol bottle. All you're going to do is exasperate exasperate the the issue until it becomes this this crisis that just is like a bomb in which the cloud is just enfolding on itself. Jesus comes in the middle of a scene 2,000 years ago, not unlike the scene that we live in today. And he makes a simple statement in this regard. And he provides us not only the means by which to, in advocating to test all of these things by the Word of God, but he said, Wisdom is justified by her children. You want to clearly understand what is wisdom in life? Wisdom is justified by her children. Wisdom earns the right to be called wisdom on the basis of the human being that it produces. It is not wisdom because it claims to be wisdom. It is not wisdom if the whole world believes it to be wisdom. But all it does is make a casualty of human beings. Wisdom earns the right to be called wisdom on the basis of the quality of human being that is produced by that wisdom. And you look at the wisdom of God. Look at the quality of life that is produced by simple obedience to the gospel and becoming born again and then obedience to the the commandments of the Word of God across all cultures, every tribe, every tongue, everything in the world uniformly. You watch the kind of human being that is produced. And nothing produces the kind of human being that Christianity produces and 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 the reason why Jesus says wisdom is justified by uh, by her her children and and it's a powerful witness to the truthfulness of God's word and God's word there in verse 5 will cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and so if we are stumbled, when we are stumbled by some attack upon our faith in the form of an attack upon the truth of the Word of God, then dig into that truth of God in the Bible. Come to know it like you've never known it before. Come to know it as it's fully represented in the Word of God. Study it on your own. Ask other Christians who you respect their walk with God, you respect their knowledge of the Scripture, ask them how they understand that truth, why they believe, uh, uh, why they view it as an evidence of God's wisdom as opposed to a cause for being uh, stumbled. And then do that and do that and do that in prayer until that argument is cast down, until that high thing is humbled before the knowledge of God and His revelation of what is true on that issue is exalted and it will always happen it will always happen if I'm willing to do that the lie will always be exposed by the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of the Word of God and the truth of the Word of God always testified to by the Holy Spirit and keep praying and studying it till it does And finally we have to bring paul tells us every thought into captivity to the obedience of christ and all warfare there are prisoners and there are prisoners in this warfare related to our minds and paul says in essence anything that comes into your mind that does not match the word of god it exalts itself against the knowledge of god then that thought is to be taken captive, taken prisoner, and cast out of my mind. What comes into my mind, and it matches the Word of God, is to be allowed to stay. As the old saying goes, we can't help it if a bird flies into our hair, but we can keep it from building a nest there. And it's the same thing with truth. We aren't to let a- anything and everything come into our minds and allow it to become an influence within our lives. It's to be tested by, uh, by the Word of God, to simply ask, what does the Bible say uh, uh, about this? And if it matches the Word, it stays. If it doesn't match, then it goes, whether it has to do with religion, whether it has to do with marriage, whether it has to do with sexuality, no, whether it has to do with child rearing or temptation or whatever it might be. And so as Christians, each of us are engaged in a warfare in this world, And it's a warfare for our minds in which the devil uses lies and slanders against our God, against His Word, His His truthfulness, and then against us as well. And, And this is what's required to engage in that warfare successfully. We are, he says, not to wage this war according to the flesh. We're to realize that our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. Our weapons further, our our spiritual weapons, prayer and God's truth will pull down any strongholds we face, whether in the world or in our own personal lives. And and then God's Word will cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And finally, we must bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And many, many, many Christians... They fall for the lies and the slander of the devil as he directs it against the Word of God and, and, and against God Himself. And they buy the lie, and then now they think that they're operating under some kind of new discernment or new clarity related to the Bible, a new understanding uh, of the Bible and God's Word that is not a clear understanding of the Bible and God's Word when all that has happened to them is that they have been sucker punched by the devil. And it is this instruction that protects us from that happening within our lives, and then spending months or years or even decades in a false understanding of Christianity uh, or what the Bible has to say on various uh, issues until uh, we come out of it perhaps one day. And so this is the big leagues, for us as Christians. It, this is the big leagues, the warfare that's brought against us, because we have the truth. Not in the sense that it's in arrogance, but it's been entrusted to us as a stewardship. And in order for all of these lies, in this world is a lying place. And the only way that you can stop the advancement of lies and the only threat to lies is the truth. And we have the truth. And so of course the attack is going to come against God, His reputation, against His Word, and against us. But this is how to stand. And invaluable, invaluable instruction. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth and that you give us here related to this very, very specific form, and probably its most deadly form of spiritual warfare that we we ever face. And so many people being stumbled, Lord, by some video or some talk they went to and and walk away from You for a long period of time without ever praying to You, without ever going into their Bible, assuming they know the Bible and they don't know the Bible at all. Never going deep in Your Word to try and understand Your wisdom behind the stands and the commandments that You give. And we pray, Lord, that this time in Your Word this morning would protect each and every one of us from uh, the misspent life that is found there, and, uh, and the, the unspeakable uh, messiness and tragedy that happens uh, on that path of walking away from the safety of You and to all of these lies that surround us. Thank You for Your truth, Lord. Thank You for this truth. And we pray, Lord, that You would bring it to our remembrance as we face these kind of things, and to turn to You and to navigate this very, very subtle and dangerous atmosphere that we find ourselves in Western culture successfully. And we pray and we ask these things of You. In Jesus' name, amen.